My name is Gia Voltz. I'm an investigator of the Howard Hughes Medical Institute and a professor at the University of Colorado. Today I'm going to tell you about factors and functions of organelle membrane contact sites. In part one of my lectures, I'm going to tell you about membrane contact sites and their emerging roles in regulating organelle biogenesis, trafficking, and function. And in another part later, I'll tell you about a bioID strategy we use to identify new factors and functions of membrane contact sites. This is a cartoon of animal cell organelles. Organelles are like the organs of the cell, just like organs in your cell, that each perform specific functions. This slide is showing you the membrane-bound organelles of the cell, and you can see the mitochondria, the endoplasmic reticulum, the peroxisomes, lysosomes, and the nucleus and the Golgi. Each of these organelles has a specific set of resident proteins and a specific lipid composition. And for that reason, they each are functionally unique, so they can, only, they can perform only certain functions. Most of these organelles are recognizable in cartoon form like this, and that's because their structures and shapes are highly conserved. Historically, organelles have been shown very similar to this sort of cartoon diagram. For example, the ER is shown as these pancakes plastered up against the nucleus, and other organelles are shown as isolated structures out in the cytoplasm. And in recent years, this image of organelles has changed a lot. And that's because of advances in light microscopy and imaging techniques. This is now how we look at cellular organelles. This is a live cell image of multiple organelles labeled with different fluorescent colors. For example, the ER now is in light blue. And you can see that it's an elaborate network that goes all the way from down here at the nuclear envelope out to the very periphery of the cell. Endosomes here in red all over the cell, there are dozens of them. They're shown as uh, organelles tightly associated with the ER. And you can also see these mitochondria in dark blue. And again, just like endosomes, they're integrated into this ER network. And so, in contrast to our old historical view of organelles as being isolated structures, we're now thinking of these organelles as structures that are associated with this giant ER network. At the center of all this is the beautiful endoplasmic reticulum. So this is an animal cell, and it's been labeled with a GFP-labeled ER marker. And you can see the different domains of the ER. Down here is the nuclear envelope. Up here are ER sheets. And out in the periphery, there's this tubular network. When most people think about ER function, they think about rough ER. That's the area of the ER where you have translation, translocation, and protein folding of membrane and secreted proteins. This is an area of the ER here that we've reconstructed by EM and tomography. The ribosomes are labeled in green. Ribosomes densely label this rough ER surface. In contrast, there are areas of the cell, like these tubular ERs shown up here. These are smooth ER. When we look at them by EM tomography, they have very few ribosomes bound. And that really begs the question of, what do these domains of the ER do? To me, the most characteristic and defining feature of the tubular ER is that it's incredibly dynamic. So if you look at this beautiful movie here, you can see ER tubes moving all over the cell. They're rearranging, they're reconstructing, they're generating new junctions all the time. These ER tubes move around on the roads of the cell. These roads are called microtubules. And if you zoom in on individual areas where there are ER tubes, you can see how they overlap with these microtubules, especially when they're moving. 
So the entire ER doesn't overlap with the microtubules, but if the ER moves, it's moving on the microtubule network. I'll show you one example of how the ER moves in this case. An ER tube starts up here, and it zips down in a sliding process along this microtubule. This is called ER sliding, and this is the main way the ER is moving around. We know several things about ER sliding. It slides in both directions along microtubules, so it goes towards the nucleus, and it also goes out to the plasma membrane. It uses molecular motors, so dynein and kinesin, to slide in both directions. And, of course, this uses a huge amount of energy in ATP. And this, of course, begs the question of why is this so important? Why is a cell putting all this energy into moving the ER around in microtubules? And a big clue to that is that when we image the ER relative to other organelles, what we find is that many other organelles are attached to the tips of these ER tubes here. And as the ER tube slides along, it many times has an organelle at its leading edge. If you zoom in on an area of the ER where it's dynamic, you can really appreciate how it rearranges. It slides across, but you also see areas where little rings are moving around. What could these little rings be doing? And a big answer to that came when we started imaging other organelles at the same time that we were looking at ER dynamics. So in this next example, what I'm going to show you is a cell where we look at the ER with a green fluorescent protein tagged ER protein, and we look at other organelles at the same time in other colors. So in this example here, mitochondria are in blue, late endosomes are in red, and what you can see is that as these other organelles move around, 99% of them are tightly tethered to the ER network. So they move and they pull the ER around with them. And these kind of images have really led to a new field in cell biology, a field of studying the new functions for membrane contact sites. So these are places where the ER comes in close contact with other organelles. And we're starting to understand what's happening at these other organelles at these contact sites. These are potentially sites where both organelles can use their machineries to come together and perform new functions. So how do we study these membrane contact sites, and how do we know that they really exist and characterize what they look like and what they do? One major uh, technique that we use to study these membrane contact sites is electron microscopy. So using electron microscopy, we can make slices through the cell, and then we can stay in the membrane to look through those slices, and then we can reconstruct the membrane of the ER, for example, relative to other membranes like the plasma membrane, the Golgi endosomes, and look at what the dimensions of those membrane contact sites look like and what their sort of topography is. So in this example here, what we've done is we've made a slice through a budding yeast cell. You can see the bud up on top. We've reconstructed all the membrane-bound organelles up here, and we look at their structures relative to each other. In the bottom image down there, this is just a single slice through a yeast cell out at the periphery next to the plasma membrane. The ER membrane there, down below, it's like sort of a membrane like this. It's flattened up against the plasma membrane. And at the interface between the black arrow and the white arrow, one of the things we can look at, for example, is what's the distance of membrane contact sites. We can measure those distances and see that a typical membrane contact site ranges from 10 to 30 nanometers. Another big thing that you can see is that the ER has no ribosomes between the ER membrane and the plasma membrane. 
So on the bottom side of that blue membrane of ER there, you can see little black dots studding the rough ER on the face that's away from the plasma membrane, and no ribosomes between the black and white arrow where it's up against the plasma membrane. And that tells us that this is a special region of the ER, smooth ER, where it's forming membrane contact sites. So these kind of images together have allowed us to say that organelles like the ER and Golgi, the plasma membrane, endosomes, these organelles are tethered, but we never see that they fuse. So they still maintain their identity, but they're close enough that their proteins can potentially work together. These membranes come together in images like this. We can measure about 10 to 30 nanometers apart, and the ER is smooth. And so those are the main features of membrane contact sites. The other nice thing we can do by electron microscopy and tomography is make three-dimensional models of the sites where organelles interact. This is a yeast cell where the ER membrane is labeled in green. And what I hope you can appreciate is this place where the ER is sort of like a clamp around this purple mitochondria. It's like it's squeezing it, and this begs the question of what's happening at these contact sites. What is important that's going on? So those images before are snapshots. They show you that we can see membranes up against each other of two different organelles, but they don't tell you how stable those contact sites are, how persistent they are, and what's happening at those contact sites in live cells. And to address that, one of the things that we've done is we've labeled two organelles at the same time in the same cells in different colors. We make live movies and ask what happens over time. In this movie shown here, the ER network, again, is in green, labeled with the GFP-tagged ER protein, and endosomes are labeled in red. And when we score these interactions over time, what we can measure is that these endosomes are going to move around and they pull ER tubes around with them. So 99%, 99.9% of these endosomes will remain tightly tethered to the ER network as they move. Here's a perfect example of that. This is an endosome in red. It's trafficking up to the corner of this image. And as it traffics up, it just pulls that ER tube along with it. It's not just true for endosomes. It's true for almost all of the membrane-bound cellular organelles. In this next example, you can see a peroxisome tightly tethered to this red ER network. In the next example, I'll show you autophagosomes, an organelle involved in degrading proteins and membranes. Again, in green is the autophagosome. It pulls a red ER tubular network with it. And finally, in this last example, I'll show you mitochondria in blue, wrapped in ER networks. And so they move around, and they just move around with the ER network with them. So the extent to which these different organelles are tethered to the ER really begs an important question, which is why? Why are these organelles all tethered to the ER network? We can even see that they're tethered relative to the microtubal network as they move across the cell. This is the electron micrograph, where right here, labeled as this big round thing, there's a, a, an endosome. I'll color it there in red. And that endosome is attached in the spot to an ER, the tip of an ER tube. And then I've also colored it in the microtubule. And so this shows you how the endosome, the ER, and the microtubule are all interac interacting at this sort of tripartite junction to make sure that these organelles move together through the cell.
This is a perfect example of how organelles move together on microtubules. At first, I'm just going to line uh, an endosome in blue with the red ER network. When I play this movie, the endosome will take off and it'll zip along and up a microtubule. So without the microtubule showing, I'm just first going to show you this endosome. And as it moves, it zips up along in sort of this sliding reaction up towards the top end of this image. Now I'll show you that same endosome, but instead it's moving on a microtubule in the same overlay. So here it goes. It zips up, and it zips up along a microtubule. I can play all three of those structures together in this next movie. So you'll see this endosome. It pulls an ER tube behind it, and it moves along a microtubule up to the top end of this video. So that's really quite amazing to me, how these structures are all integrated and why it's so important. So recent years have allowed us to identify some of the factors now at these contact sites, and that's uh, started to allow us to also uh, study the functions of membrane contact sites. So there are several functions that have now been identified at these contact sites. The first one is lipid trafficking modification. It used to be that we thought that the ER made most of the precursors for lipids, and those lipids were trafficked to other places like the plasma membrane or the Golgi or the endosome in vesicles, and that was the only way you could transfer lipids from one place to the other. But what we found in recent years is that, in fact, at these sites where the ER network comes up against other membranes, lipids can flip into the opposing membrane of these opposing organelles or the plasma membrane. Another major function is calcium trafficking. In animal cells, the ER stores a high concentration of calcium, and it can release it onto other organelles at contact sites to activate various processes. And finally, one of the things we've discovered is that the ER can regulate the trafficking of other organelles and the division of other organelles at contact sites. And I'll expand a little bit on each of these processes. So here again is that example. It's an EM tomograph. It's an image of the ER here in blue, plastered up against the plasma membrane at a contact site. And several groups now have identified many of the little protein complexes that are found at these contact sites. Many of them are involved in lipid modification and lipid trafficking. And so lipids made on the ER can flip across into the plasma membrane, and other lipids after modification can then flip back again into the ER to regulate other processes. This same sort of thing happens at other interfaces. So here I'm going to light up the ER in blue, and then I'll turn it off again. This is a spot where an ER tube is up against the Golgi. The same thing happens at these contact sites. Lipids made at the plasma membrane, I mean at the ER, flip into the Golgi, and then they can be modified and potentially flip back again. It used to be that we thought the only way these lipids could traffic between the ER and the Golgi were through vesicles, but now we see that that's not necessary. It's much faster to flip them from one membrane into the other at these contact sites. And finally, the same kind of thing happens at places where the ER comes up against these endosomes. The ER makes the lipid precursor, it flips into the endosome. Sometimes it even exchanges the lipid in the endosome for cholesterol. And this is a way that we can rapidly move around lipids and cholesterol in the cell. 
Another function that's very important at these ER membrane contact sites is calcium signaling and calcium entry. So again, this is an example in an animal cell where the ER is up against the plasma membrane. The ER is a storage site for calcium, but sometimes calcium stores are depleted. And in response to calcium stores being depleted in the ER lumen, this complex between this protein STEM1 and an ORI channel, a calcium channel on the plasma membrane, gets activated. The ER moves up against the plasma membrane. The channel actually opens up, and calcium goes directly from outside the plasma membrane in the extracellular space and feeds back into the ER lumen to restore ER luminal calcium concentration. The same kind of thing happens, but in an opposite way at ER mitochondrial contact sites. The ER is storing calcium. There are activities on the mitochondria that get activated by high concentrations of calcium. And at these contact sites, what can happen is the ER actually releases calcium through its channels onto the surface of the mitochondria to activate various processes. The last function I'm going to tell you about is a function at ER membrane contact sites that's called ER-associated organelle division. And this has been a process that we study in my lab and have studied for several years now. We got the whole idea for this process by actually looking at those three-dimensional structures by EM and tomography of ER tubes wrapped around mitochondria. And that led us to a hypothesis where we thought, maybe the reason why we're seeing these sort of ER clamps around mitochondria is that the ER was actually squeezing mitochondria and regulating the position where they undergo division. The big way that we tested that was doing fluorescence microscopy and live imaging. What we would do in this example here, you can see the mitochondria down below in red and an ER tubular network in green. And at that arrow is a place where that ER tube crosses perpendicular over that mitochondrial membrane. So when we make movies of this, we can ask, when, did, where, when and where does this mitochondria divide, and where is the ER relative to that position? So when I play this movie here, you'll see that that mitochondria divides exactly where that ER tube crosses over it. And in fact, as it divides, both halves uh, maintain contact with that ER tubular network. And this is just replaying over and over. We can also look at this process relative to uh, the division machinery. So in this next movie, what we've done is we've actually labeled three components. We labeled the ER in green. We labeled the mitochondria with a blue fluorescent protein. And we labeled the division machinery of mitochondria, this DRP1 protein, in red. So in this movie up here, before I start it, you can see that red spot is right where that ER tube crosses over that mitochondria. And as I play the movie, what you're going to see is that the mitochondria divides. The red spot, which is the division machinery, divides in half, goes with each side. And the ER tube stays with both sides at those red spots. So I'll play this movie here. And you can see there's two daughter mitochondria generated, a division of the machinery, and a division of ER contact sites and a maintenance of those contact sites. And this has led us to a model whereby we can say that what the ER has been doing is that it defines the position where the mitochondria is constricted, where the division machinery is recruited, and then ultimately where division occurs. Mitochondria are not the only organelles that the ER interacts with, and they're not the only organelles that undergo constriction 
and division reactions. Another organelle that also undergoes division reactions are endosomes. And as you know, endosomes also maintain contact with the ER from the movies that I showed you earlier. This is a cartoon of endocytosis in an animal cell. So out here at the plasma membrane, way out there, what happens when receptors need to be degraded is that they're internalized into these clathrin-coated pits. They bud off and become early endosomes in that next cartoon. At the early endosome, they then can sort cargos, receptors that need to be recycled back to the plasma membrane, or go on to be degraded at the lysosome. These endosomes in that second uh, image then can mature to become late endosomes, and late endosomes can then sort cargo either to be recycled or trafficked down there to that orange Golgi. And at this point, again, these endosomes undergo a fission reaction during this cargo sorting process. So what we showed several years ago was that the site where both of these early and late endosome fission events happened were also defined by these ER contact sites, just like they were for mitochondria. So I want to show you what that looks like in a live animal cell. In this image here, what we've labeled is the ER network in green. We've labeled endosomes in red, and we've labeled cargo in blue. And what we do to look at this process live is that we zoom in on individual events, like the one right there in that box, and then we look at it through snapshots of time. So now I've zoomed in on that event, and you can see down here in the bottom right panel, there's an endosome, uh, the membrane's coated with red, there's cargo in the middle of it in blue, and you can see where the ER network is relative to that endosome. In this first frame, what's happening, if you look just at the top panel up there, is that endosome is just starting to form a little bud. So it's just starting to make a budding reaction to sort cargo that's going to be sorted somewhere else. At the bottom, you can see where's the ER relative to this event. And right now, the ER is forming one contact site with that budding domain, and then it's like an open C. In the next panel, which is the next time point, what'll happen at that bottom arrow is that C will close into a circle. The bud actually grows through the circle, and then it elongates in the next frame through that circle. And between this time frame and the next time frame, what's amazing that happens is that circle actually clinches up like a, a string on a sack, and it cuts off that endosome. So if you look down at that blue arrow on the bottom, this is the next frame. It clenches, cuts off that endosome bud. So before, it's open. After, it clenches and cuts it off. So with movies like this, we can actually characterize the time uh, the spatial organization, and uh, the, this entire process of endosome sorting and fission relative to the recruitment of the ER network. To me, there are very many interesting things about this process. One is, how does the ER know to get recruited to that spot because a bud is about to be formed? How does it know to then make a circle and rearrange around that bud? And then how does it know not to actually cinch up and cut off that bud until after cargo has been sorted? And this is one of the many processes that we've been studying, and we've been, uh, our goal has been to identify some of the machinery and the mechanism involved in this process to understand what the ER is doing. And finally, we'd like to see how is this process of ER regulating organelle division conserved to multiple other organelles that also undergo fission. So I hope today what I've uh, 
convinced you of is that membrane contact sites are an important new field in cell biology. They're a place where two organelles can come together and they can share their machineries to perform new functions that they couldn't in isolation. And then I also hope that I've convinced you that the ER is a beautiful, elaborate network that's doing new things that we never expected. And finally, I would like to thank the people in my lab that contributed to this work and helped me with this presentation. Thank you.